Hey there, guys. This is Jeff. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Sports Quorum Deo. I just wanted to give you a heads up that for some reason, the software that Terry and I used to record decided to make some roaring noises over the top of my replies. That may, in fact, be a better solution than actually hearing my reply. But nonetheless, it can be a big grating on the old eardrums. So I wanted to give you a heads up beforehand that it was going to show up from time to time. I still think the episode's excellent because Terry is so well-informed about college football. But again, like I said, just want to give you a heads up so it's not a surprise. Offer my apologies and let you know we're going to work on getting that fixed. In the meantime, though, I hope you enjoy this preview of the upcoming college football season. Thanks again for listening. Hey, 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 everybody. It is Jeff Wright. I'm here with Terry Felton, and we're back. It's Sports Quorum Deo, and this time we're getting ready for college football. Terry Felton, scale of 1 to 10, how hype are you for this year's college football season? Man, I'm at a 10. I love college football. love so much about it. So I'm excited um, every time the season rolls around. I don't blame you, and I'm so glad to talk to you about that because – my my fandom when it comes to college football is deep, but it's particularly orange. And so what I know about college football basically orbits around Tennessee, meaning I've been out in the landfill for the last couple of years. <laughs> I, know, uh, I know about Clemson. I know about Alabama. But I need someone like you in my life. And I trust our listeners need someone like you in their lives to help us get our hands around, our brains around this upcoming college football season. So uh, listener, here's what we're going to do with this episode. We got four or five big questions uh, to talk over that that will kind of encapsulate this year's college football, uh, or at least the run up to this year's college football season. That sound fair, Terry? That sounds awesome, Jeff. But because this is Sports Cormdale, I'm going to throw Terry some unprompted. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say less serious, but 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 some questions that will maybe get him going, and we'll get mm-hmm. an entertaining. Uh, spontaneous answer from my friend Terry Felton. You up for that, Terry? I I will try, man. I will try to give the people what they want. We know you know how to give the people what they want. (laughs) So let's just get started on that. This is the Sports Quorum Deo uh, 2019-20 college football preview. And here's your first question, Terry. Let's do it. More likely for Trevor Lawrence that he A, fold under the hype or B, come to his senses and transfer to the University of Tennessee like he should uh, have. Uh, so more likely out of those two options, Jeff, it, it's going to have to be fold under the hype because uh, I just How don't dare you. I, I, I just don't here. see him going to, to Tennessee at this point. He he had his chance. He's he's chosen a different path, and I mean he won a national title year one. Clemson stacked again, and uh, a lot of preseason they're either one or two man. So you know we we were talking about doing an NBA preview, and we're still going to get to that maybe as early as next week. But look. Kevin Durant has given him the script. He's won his chip. Mm. Now come rebuild a storied program. Except, well, Kevin didn't do that. He's going to the Nets instead of the Knicks. But <laughs> nonetheless, let me ask you this. You're, you know, everything revolves around the University of Tennessee again. Yeah. We're both fairly pleased with Jeremy Pruitt, right? Yeah, so far, yeah. Okay. Uh, would you accept John Gruden replacing Jeremy Pruitt if he brought Trevor Lawrence with him? What are uh, okay in your scenario? What are the transfer rules? Are we getting Lawrence for two years? Because uh, I think we can agree he's a 
three-year college player. Yeah, just to make it, um, let's make it as interesting as possible. So the minimum that he could play if he transferred would be one more season, right? Yeah. Uh, it depends what day of the week it is for the NCAA. Tennessee's waiting on Aubrey Solomon, and guys who filled their waivers out long after Solomon are getting notifications. So who knows? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's just assume he gets to play – Let's say two years. Would you kick Jeremy to the curb, take Gruden in the sideshow that comes with that, if you got two years of Trevor Lawrence? With with the current roster being what it is, right? For uh-huh. you two. We got Man, some wide that, receivers, buddy. We've got that. Pruitt has started the rebuild of the lines, which is critical. Um man, that that's that's tempting. But boy, I I I have a, a hope anyway. What I think Pruitt's building and what it's going to look like, and with Gruden, that would be such a wild card, man. Ah, I, I don't know, Jeff. Whoa. That, that is that Trevor is Lawrence. So that's a personal great. challenge to you from Terry Felton. You need to transfer right now and show him show him the value you bring to a program. So, Jeff, you're saying that Trevor Lawrence right now could be that Jared Garantano. I'm just saying maybe he should look at the portal. That's all I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just thinking. What a bidding war that would turn into, would it not? Yeah, that's, somebody that's what you would actually see that, college football free agency. You would. You would. Wow. What a great first question, Jeff. Well, in, in more seriousness, you know, uh, I, I'm like you. I don't expect him to transfer. I also don't expect him to collapse under the hype. Do you think there's any realistic challengers to his Heisman hopes, you know, uh, except, well, okay, so a um, couple thoughts there. Alabama, although they are not my favorite team by no stretch of imagination, they still have a quarterback named Tua who's pretty good, who um, this time last year we were all talking about and the pundits were talking about. Um, it was Tua, Tua, Tua. And uh, Trevor Lawrence was merely but a freshman enrolling at Clemson with some promise. Uh, so I definitely think Tua is one of those that can challenge um, with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma's track record with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Boy, it's hard to bet against the OU quarterback. In this case, he's going to be former Alabama QB Jalen Hurts. So it's hard for me to think that that um, that quarterback isn't going to put up such insane numbers. And with it being in the, the Big 12, there's a very good possibility Oklahoma is going to run rough shot through that um, conference again with maybe only Texas or Iowa State giving them a real challenge. So I think the OUQB is always going to be up there. And then there's always somebody that, that we don't expect to emerge. Um, so, you know, we grew up as UT fans in the decade of the 1990s, which, you know, many believe was probably their best decade ever for their football program. Mm -hmm. And we watched Peyton Manning with all the hype, with all the pundits saying he's a surefire number one draft pick and all this stuff. We watched him not win a Heisman. So um, I think there are other, um, other players that can give, Trevor Lawrence a real run for his money for that Heisman Trophy, um, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean either that Trevor does anything wrong or has a bad season, or Clemson even doesn't repeat as national champions. So, would it be fair to say that Lawrence is the favorite? Um, Tua is in the you know the two spot going into the season, and like Jalen Hurts might be the third guy to show up for the Heisman Trophy presentation. Does that sound reasonable? I, mean, I think you know. I think you know. In early August, when we're recording this, yeah, I think that's that's where it kind of sits right now. Okay. All right. Well, hey, before we leave Trevor Lawrence, and uh, before we get back to him by talking about 
the likely national championship game. Um, so Dabo Sweeney, uh, apparently right before we hit record, had some stuff to say about quarterbacks on his roster. Um, could you fill our listeners in and give us your thoughts on Dabo's, Dabo's I guess, commentary? So uh, apparently this week, uh, uh, either a comment was made to Coach Sweeney or um, a question was asked about um, former Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant and would he uh, receive a national championship ring. And uh, if you don't remember, Kelly Bryant was uh, Clemson's starting quarterback uh, last season. Uh, The season before that, he was their starting quarterback after uh, Deshaun Watson went pro. And Bryant led them to the college football playoff. They lost in uh, basically the semifinal round against Alabama. And that following that offseason, Clemson signed Trevor Lawrence, uh, the number one recruit, number one quarterback. And last season, they moved away from Kelly Bryant, who went 16-2 and as Clemson's starting quarterback and uh, early in the season and gave the job to Trevor Lawrence. Well, all he did was win and uh, lead them to a national title. Kelly Bryant. Yeah. Thanks, Butch Jones. Just just thinking about you, buddy. Just thinking about you, Butch, and all the all the good you did for our program. Yeah, yeah. If you're a you're a Tennessee fan, you probably know that Trevor Lawrence grew up a Tennessee fan. Um, I think maybe even been born in the state of Tennessee and um, had Peyton Manning posters on his wall, et cetera, et cetera. And in large part because of Butch Jones' lack of recruiting him, ends up going to Clemson. But anyway, Kelly Bryant ends up quitting the team, quits Clemson last year. Trevor Lawrence leads them on to the national title. And uh, whoever brought this up or uh, wanted to, to, to bring this up is about Kelly Bryant. Should he get a championship ring? Um, so like some media uh, person? Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, you know, Jeff, I, I'm of the opinion if you quit the team from that moment you quit, barring you going back and wanting to rejoin the team and being – being allowed back on by coach, players, whomever would would make that final say, then you've cut off all future um, benefits or you know anything that would be a detriment. You've you've quit at that point, so I don't see how Kelly Bryant should be given a ring, and and, and I don't think that means that it's a, a poor reflection on him. He made a choice. Um, did the University of Tennessee give Jalen Hurt a Music City Bowl trophy or ring, you know, after he quit midseason? Uh, I don't think so. And while obviously we're talking about a much bigger stake uh, there, the national title, uh, compared to just some bowl, you know, garb, it, it just I, I don't think, you know, I think you, you, you chose to quit. And, and he could have been the backup, um, I believe, the week after Bryant left the team. Lawrence gets hurt in the game and their third stringer uh, comes in and literally leads them uh, from behind to victory. Um, Obviously Lawrence was only hurt for that one game, but you know, uh, quarterback, just like any position on on the football field, you're one snap away from um, being out or if you're on the bench being in. So um, I I don't think he responded like a, um, you know, like he could have. And thus, I don't think he should be rewarded as part of what that team went on to accomplish without him. Yeah, that's just such a weird possibility to even raise. I guess it was probably a media member who threw that to Coach Dabo. Um, Having said that, Terry, I think we're probably living very quickly into a world where stuff like that does get 
some kind of like where Kelly would get a ring or something along those lines because it's just a different day in terms of what athletes expect. And I think that probably something like what you saw in the NBA is going to go down. And and again, I'll illustrate this in, um, in, in two generations that are still pretty close to the league. Did you see Jeremy Lin, uh, I guess, last week crying about how the NBA seems to have kind of passed him by? Mm-hmm. Yes. At one point in that, I guess it was a speech to a church or something, he, he mentioned kind of feeling ashamed uh, about getting a ring that he didn't deserve. Did mm-hmm. you hear that? I did not hear that part. I know, okay, but. You know, he, he said he felt this burden of like not being a good, a good enough player to contribute to the championship, you know, success of the team. Then you go over to Anthony Davis, who, when he right before he was traded to the Lakers, he'd made it clear to the Celtics that should they trade for him, he would not, he wouldn't be interested in re-signing there. And one of the reasons he cited was the way they had treated Isaiah Thomas. Okay, so I get it from Anthony's perspective. If I were if I were him, I'd be like, look, there's no loyalty on your side. Don't expect loyalty on my side. But I think probably athletes are going to bend in the Anthony Davis direction rather than the Jeremy Lin direction where, you know, I'm not thinking about accountability for myself and my performance, my choices, right, my choice to leave the team and whatnot. I'm going to think about what do I basically want? What do what do I feel moment by moment is in my best interest, puts me in the best situation? And I'm not saying even I blame them for thinking that way, but I think it will get as silly as. I'll tell the people I have influence on and future recruits will look and see, did you basically baby the players that came through your program? Did you treat them with extravagant, lavish, you know, care, even if they acted like children? Because it seems like, you know, you and I are in our 30s. Uh, I guess that makes us old heads for this. It just seems like we're getting a little bit more juvenile in terms of what society expects from employers and uh, the people that are in authority over them. And so I'm just betting there's going to be a school somewhere that's going to take like a hard line and say, yeah, if we have success, everybody's getting rings, you know, and they kind of build their brand on it so that they hope that future recruits will say, yeah, when you go there, you get lavished it, to whatever degree, it's, you know, NCAA legal to be lavished. You know, if I came through Clemson at any point around there, I was connected to the squad. They'll give me a ring. They'll give me, you know, whatever benefits they can. And particularly with, we talked about earlier, the portal now being part of the NCAA, I just think you're going to see benefits, whatever benefits can be marshaled to entice future players to think highly of your program. That's just going to be ever increasingly part of, Part of the the experience of the college athlete at these high level programs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And um, we we've we've seen it come in our lifetime, even as you reference like youth sports and, and that type of stuff. We've we, we've seen a a shift that from you you get whatever you you earn whatever you get on the court on the field to everyone gets a trophy and, and, and I'm certainly not at all trying to speak ill or detrimental of you know youth sports and really teaching the the value of teamwork and 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 the the, the great lessons that sports can teach but boy that there is a, a thin line between um, awarding 
effort that should be perhaps expected with excess um, rather than just for the, the thrill and the opportunity to play the game. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 for me, it's, it's like, you know, did Trevor Lawrence get any of the awards conference championship um, or any of the going to the college football playoff um, awards that Clemson got before he signed with them? Because he contributed as much to that team as Kelly Bryant did once he left to the team that went 15 and 0 and won the national title. Zero. Sure. So, so I just, I, I don't, I don't understand why um, people are thinking that way, but you are speaking what I believe to be true. Uh, and it, it's happening more and more with um, the, whether it's the empowerment of the athlete or even just the mentality that, that they have that um, they, they, and they are correct in seeing that they are of value and that you have no, you have no sports without the athletes playing it for sure. But some of these instances, it's, it's very odd. And again, I don't know the full context behind um, whether um, Bryant requested the ring or someone else just brought it up. And that's how the, the, the conversation went. The quote from Dabo Sweeney is, he wasn't on the team. You've got to be on the team to get a ring. I love Kelly and appreciate what he did for us, but he decided to move on. Yeah, hard yeah. to argue with that, man. But it, it seems like we're living in a world where if you show up with an opinion – you, you know, the person with the opinion expects everybody to stop what they're doing and listen. And right. I kind of feel like we're, that'll translate into athletics. Being if I show up and I break a sweat, then right. all the benefits come to me, you know, no matter sure. what happens with my decision. So. Sure. The, the, isn't there a danger, though, ultimately, Jeff? And ultimately, we're going to be we're, people are going to be pining for opportunities to play the sports that don't have any business playing the sport. You mean like uh, males who are competing as females in those sports, I mean, that's, that's, that's a that's a sidebar here, but yeah, yeah. I mean, we're ob- I mean, we're obviously at a point where sports is infested with craziness, and yeah. you know, if we're living in a world that's willing to say, yeah, that transgendered woman just broke a you know forty five year old track record. Look at what women are doing, and we're all like, yeah, but he's a dude. Like it's some kind of State Farm yeah. commercial. Um, there's, I mean, <laughs> there's a whole spectrum of things behind that that are less crazy, but nonetheless still crazy. That's going to be, you know, comparatively, it's going to be more acceptable because it's actually less crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, maybe, maybe going back less serious here. Are we sure this is my second silly question. Are we sure that Jim Harbaugh is a good coach? Like a good college football coach? Yeah, yeah, we are. We are because look at what he did at Stanford. Like we, we, we can't forget what he did there. We, we can't just throw it out because Michigan hasn't reached the heights that everyone expected them to. Now, the fact that one Urban Meyer is no longer at the Ohio State, is that going to open things up wide for Michigan um, to assume control of the Big Ten at this point? Maybe um, I haven't. I haven't read you know dozens of preseason um, books or commentaries, uh, but I've read enough to see that I, Michigan is in the top five in all of them. So if Alabama and Clemson, I know, are two of them, then um, maybe Ohio State's in the top five. Maybe they're not. But um, this this might be the year that Michigan gets over the Ohio State um, hump and uh, wins the Big Ten. It wouldn't shock me at all, and then we'll be singing Harbaugh's praises again. So, yeah, I think we we can't disregard what he did at um, 
at Stanford. He's a good college coach. Well, now, Terry, let me ask you. Isn't he something like one in nine against ranked opponents? Since going to Michigan? Yeah, I think it's something catastrophic. And he got blown out by Florida last year, right? I believe so. I don't know, dude. That just doesn't bode well to me. Maybe Do you think he maybe lost his fastball? Maybe he did. Um, I also think um, Michigan went through that kind of gauntlet portion of the Big Ten with Wisconsin, um, Ohio State, or Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State. And and I think after losing um, some of those games last year, I think it just got really apparent that – they weren't going to achieve their ultimate goal, and I think you you are dealing with eighteen to twenty year old young men who uh, can absolutely be influenced by a lot of stuff on the outside. And I think they may have just melded in. Um, let's remember that he's a controversial call away at Ohio State. I guess three seasons ago now from winning that game, and they would have been in the college football playoff even then. That was like his second year, maybe. So, my goodness, how the narrative changes if he makes it at that point, right? Yeah. Um, and um, last year, he had a ton of guys who um, are, go- are playing on Sundays, had a great defense, and um, the offense was slow to come along. They made some coaching changes even regarding that. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not ready to give up on the man wearing khakis just yet to say he's a bad coach. But your point uh, may be merited that he, he may have lost lost his fastball a little bit. Um, but – well, let's let's save our um, opinions for Mr. Harbaugh until the end of this season because it wouldn't shock me to see uh, Michigan in the college football playoff and them having won the Big Ten. If that doesn't happen for them, let's say they win nine games. I don't know his contract situation, but let's say they win nine games. You know, apart from some unreasonable contract issue, is he on the hot seat at that point, or does he get another year for Michigan fans to kind of do whatever he needs to do? Um, if he's on the hot seat, then they need somebody to stop and walk them through by the hand and talk about the Rich Rodriguez tenure and the Brady Hope tenure (laughs) and and just walk them back off that proverbial ledge a little bit and get some perspective. And, you know, that's one thing right now in college sports where, I mean, and, and we know this anyway, right? At the end of the year, there is one, there is one champion. There is one champion, and there are 129 or 30 other programs wanting that, and they're not going to get it. At the end of the year, there's really only one team, right, that can say, hey, we, we accomplished everything that we wanted to. And everyone else is is buying for that. And as a long-suffering UT fan, you know, it's been 20-plus years since – it's been over 20 years since Tennessee won a national title. And, and, and I don't see that – changing in the next few years for sure but i gotta be realistic where the program is and michigan fans be realistic where your program is and where hopefully it can get um but man it gets a perspective remember brady hope remember um text messages in all caps Um. (laughs) all right so maybe uh just sticking with historic programs and, and coaches who may be a little wobbly is it more likely that clay helton is not the coach of the University of Southern California by Halloween, or that he is the coach of the team this time next year? Wow. Uh, let me bye. just, while you're thinking through it, let me remind you their first month. They open with 12-win Fresno State. They play Stanford. They go to BYU, Utah, BYU in Utah, which I don't know why I stumbled over that. 
Uh, then they go to Washington. After that, they get a bye and they go to Notre Dame. So that's that's their September. Ooh, boy, howdy. Um, yeah. Well, so so with that opening slate of games, then I, I'm going to go with uh, the first option that better chance he's not coached by uh, Halloween than he is next year. And, and let me also say, I think he can win eight games. And if University of Southern California thinks they can make a deal with the devil and get Urban Meyer, that they kick Clay Helton out and they bring Urban Meyer in. That Ur- would literally Ur- be a deal with the devil. Urban Meyer seems to me, Jeff, to be doing the same thing he did after he had his run at Florida. He took a he took a year off. He cited family reasons. Yeah. He's went into broadcasting. He worked for ESPN that year, and he's already working for Fox Sports. Um, already doing interviews and that kind of stuff with them. So, um, and then uh, after that time at ESPN, he got the Ohio State job. And what what traditional powerhouse program is? seemingly in a rocky state and could be looking for a coach after this year. And oh, by the way, they're on a different coast than, you know, Meyer was on with Florida and with Ohio State. But, you know, also he's um, going back to where he had great success when he was out in Utah. He's going to be like out west. Um, I, I think I think Clay Helton, Clay Helton, barring perhaps a 10-win season and a Pac-12 title, um, he may he may not have that USC job much longer if uh, Southern Cal can go get Urban Meyer. Yikes. Yeah, I just, dude, I can't even with Urban Meyer anymore. I the, agree. The whole, I need to be with my family more, then I'm going to work for ESPN, then I'm at Ohio State. I mean, and dude, he just recruits like Hannibal Lecter. You know what I mean? He finds some psychopath who, who can run, you know, and it's huge. But just everything about that dude, um, you know, we may be losing listeners over this, but everything about that dude is like what's wrong with college football, mm-hmm. particularly with coaches in my mind. And uh, if he if he and USC enter into some kind of unholy union, they really deserve each other. And I, my hatred will be complete. I'll be like Luke yeah. in the Death Star. My hatred will be complete for that program. Yeah. Um, uh, related question. How many times a day do you think Jeremy Pruitt says thank you to the good Lord Jesus Christ that he's looking across the field at Jim Chaney rather than than a Hilton? Uh, probably a lot. And if Jim Chaney's wise, he thanks uh, the good Lord Jesus Christ for his one and a half million dollar salary. No kidding, um, that no he's kidding. getting. And um, and yeah, all the all the early reviews on Jim Chaney have been positive. Which um, you know. I, it, and I'm certainly not connected to the the coaching world, but it 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 seems hard pressed to find a guy who doesn't speak good of Jim Chaney. It yeah, just right, seems like right. he's just a football coach. It seems like he gets to know his, his players that he cares about them. He wants what's best for them, but but he's got a standard and and he knows how to coach offensive football. Um, he's um, you know maybe not the greatest play caller ever, but. It seems like everywhere he's been, he's gotten about the max out of the talent he's had. And if you're a Tennessee fan, and and I've heard this so much this offseason, look at what happened with Jonathan Crompton, uh, his final year, uh, the first year of the Lane Kiffin uh, coach UT, and Jim Chaney was offensive coordinator. Look at how much he changed and how he ended up 
getting an NFL contract. Um, and Crompton has on more than one occasion sung Jim Chaney's praises. And so it, um, it gives me hope for what they can do offensively and schematically and with the O-line and with Garantano. So, um, yeah, I think I think Pruitt knew. Um, I heard one commentator say, you know, Pruitt got a mulligan with um, Helton going to Western Kentucky. I mean, that was the best case scenario for Tennessee. You didn't have to pay a buyout. You didn't have to fire him. You didn't have to say, well, maybe year two will be better. Um, Helton got a job, a head coaching job at a school he coached at before. Good for him. And Philip Fulmer and the UT athletic program said, we're going to open the bank up on these coaches and we're going to go get the type of coaching staff that we think can win many games again in Knoxville. And they're paying for it um, all the while still paying salaries of old athletic directors and other coaches for that matter. Um, so they're investing a lot. Yeah. All right, man. Well, just a couple more and we'll get to the actual good questions. Um, more likely Kirby smart gives up on the bowl cut or does not choke in the most important game of their season? Oh, more likely he doesn't choke in the most important game of the season. Oh, he, he, come on, man. That, he, was a, that was a lob. I need you to take some shots at Kirby. Come on, man. man he, dude, he's had the bowl cut for 25 years. Yeah, but also there's the chance to take a shot at Kirby. No, you're right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the, no. the bowl cut, apparently. It may be a glued-on wig like Joe Dirt style. It may be. It may be. Or... Um, again, mentioned demonic forces a moment ago. It may be something like the, the little character Samson and his hair giving him strength and power. There may be a recruiting prowess that that bowl cut's given for Kirby because, man, they're getting amazing players in Georgia. They're not sticking around. A lot of them are leaving um, because, obviously, there's something not not happening uh, well in Uggaland with another five-star being kicked off the team this week. Uh, happens to be a D lineman, someone Jeremy Pruitt recruited. I don't know if it is anything that Tennessee even wants to venture into, but should they want to, just saying he's out there. Maybe the bowl cut helps get those players into Athens, but maybe can't sustain them being there. Um, and, you know, sorry, Uga fans. So far, the last two seasons, your teams absolutely choked when they had Alabama on the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of this is envy, I have to admit, because, sure. he, like you said, he recruits like crazy. But I also want to speculate that maybe he thinks if his hair gets too long, it'll wrap around his neck and choke him, because mm. he, it just seems like something's going on. Here, here's here's what I honestly believe, okay? And again, Ugga fans, speaking of hair, their hair may be on fire when they hear me say this. Put Prude aside, put UT aside. Just as a as a as a college football watcher, I don't believe Nick Saban ever thinks Kirby Smart is a threat to him. I think he thinks as long as Kirby has the has the predominant program in the East, as long as Saban wants to own the SEC, he'll be able to. Like Kirby is his stepping stone, basically. I think he knows he's in Kirby's head. He's better at what Kirby does than Kirby is, and so he's going to recruit comparably and he's going to coach better and he's just always going to have Kirby's number. I, I, I as objectively as I can be as a UT fan, I believe that to be true. You think that's crazy? No. Okay. So again, this, this may set even some of our own fan base on fire or hair on fire is Nick Saban to Kirby smart. What Steve Spurrier was to Phil Fulmer. Well, I I'm, I'm perfectly willing to believe that's the case. I'm just going to add the element that like. Saban may be malicious enough to have like helped plan this out. 
you know what I mean? Like keep your enemies closer, kind of. Yeah. Uh, that little devil uh, may be thinking on this level. He's, you know, if anybody's playing 4D chess in college football, that's beyond just winning it on the field. I would attribute it to Saban that he would, he would place a very competent um, assistant that he he absolutely knows he owns in in a rival program to pave his way into the national championship every year. Conspiracy yeah. Jeff, right here. Well, hey, that that Alabama program has gotten so many um, breaks and/or benefits um, since he's been there that I would not would not even put it past that it. it's part of some grandioso evil evil plan that is being fleshed out by one Nicholas Saban. Yeah, you remember there was that fan theory about Star Wars going around for a while that Jar Jar was the Dark Lord of the Sith yeah. all along. I'm just as prepared to believe that Saban is actually a dark lord of the Sith at this point. He he might be. Yeah. Uh, speaking of him, last last sort of non-serious question. Any do you give any credence to the idea that Alabama was so beat up by their run through the SEC that they were left vulnerable against Clemson and sort of a follow-up to that question, if you think it's true, it, you know, would you say anything other than that's just how it works in college football, man? Like, do you think the SEC talent level is such a challenge? It leaves whoever comes out of the scrum vulnerable to teams from another conference that may not have quite the same amount of depth. So it it would be foolish, I think, for us to say that at least last year that the SEC wasn't a tougher conference than the ACC. Yep. Right. I mean, yep. OK. But let's let's walk through Bama's schedule last year. Louisville was their opening game. Arkansas State at Ole Miss, Texas A&M at home, Louisiana University at Arkansas, Missouri at Tennessee at LSU, Mississippi State, the Citadel, and Auburn. That was their regular season. They played Georgia in a a great SEC title game. Then they get four weeks off. And then quite honestly, they beat Oklahoma down. I mean, I don't know if you remember that game, but you know the the, the chatter about Kyler Murray and mm-hmm. he's going to pick them apart. And it's going to be Alabama's defense. Wow, with a month to prepare, imagine that they showed up and showed out. And then they got Clemson the next week and got throttled. Clemson beat Alabama at Alabama's own game in that title game, yeah. and it yeah. was up front. Yeah, that yeah. Clemson D line and Clemson O line played off their feet and played amazing. And my wife and kids and I loved every second of it. Um, (laughs) So the SEC is better than ACC, but I mean, come on. They had four weeks off after the Georgia game. They had the same amount of time Clemson had off. So I don't think they were so beat up. You had time to recoup and everything. Clemson was just better that night. And, and, and maybe they just were the better team. Maybe if they played 10 times, maybe they would win, you know, six or seven or eight of the games. But that night, Clemson was far and away better. So, yeah, for forget that nonsense that fan was just too beat up. Come on. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, here was their scores uh, against Louisville, 51-14. Arkansas State, 57-7. Ole Miss, 62-7. Texas A&M, 45-23. Louisiana, 56-14. Arkansas, 65-31. Missouri, 39-10. Tennessee, 58-21. LSU, 29 nothing. Mississippi State, 24 nothing. Citadel, 50-17. Auburn, 52-21. Georgia, 35-28. Oklahoma, 45-34. 
before being throttled by Clemson, uh, 44-16. So they literally, I mean, Georgia was the only single-score game all year. They were playing, they had their subs in the third quarter most of those games, Jeff. Come on. Terry, are you besmirching the good gosh darn name of the Citadel as a football powerhouse? Hey, they're good in FCS. <laughs> they are good in FCS. Jeff, Jeff I, I got I got uh, that question for you. Mm. Okay. Okay. Week one. Okay. Week one of the college football season, which actually, there are actually two games on Saturday the 24th. Oh, baby. And, and then, and then the, the full um, run of college football games happen beginning Thursday the 29th all the way through Labor Day. So I'm going to give you uh, four, maybe five games. And you tell me which of these games that if you and I were given free tickets, we would try and make travel arrangements and actually go watch them. Okay, ready? All right. All right, here we go. Miami Hurricanes versus the Florida Gators. Okay, that's going to be played in Orlando. And that's the literally the first game of the college football season on Saturday night, August 24th. Okay, so in-state rivalries, new coach Miami. Uh, Miami has a new coach, Manny Diaz, and he's already throwing shade at the Gators, saying some uh, very interesting comments. Okay, Man after my own heart, Mr. Diaz. So, so you got that. Okay, Thursday night, August 29th, the Holy War, Utah versus BYU. Um, Usually these rivalry, these rivals, when they were in the Mountain West or in the WAC, they would play the very last game of the year. Now they've moved it up. BYU's an independent. Utah's in the Pac-12. So they play it now to start the season. Um, so Utah and BYU. Um, another option, uh, moving into Saturday, um, the Syracuse Orange at the Liberty Flames. <laughs> The Hugh Freeze era begins in Lynchburg, Virginia, by welcoming a 10-win team in the Dino Babers-led Syracuse Orange. Um, right? Game number four, they'll go play anyone, anywhere. Boise State traveling to Tallahassee. Um, actually, it's going to be playing Jacksonville. They're going to book it's, it's a home game for Florida State. They're playing Florida State. And then last on this list, and what many are saying is probably the, the main game of the opening weekend, Oregon Ducks, Auburn Tigers in the house that Jerry Jones built in Arlington. So Oregon, Auburn, Boise State, Florida, Syracuse, Liberty, <laughs> Utah, BYU, or Miami versus Florida. Where, where, where would you go if we were getting free tickets? If I had to pick one. One, one of those games for opening uh, weekend. It feels to me like Oregon versus Auburn is the number one. But sure. the way you set that up, dude, I would be hyped for any of them at this point. I would go probably last of all, I'd go to Miami versus Florida sure. because I would try to get away to like Universal Studios <laughs> and just root for some hurricane to come in and wipe Florida <laughs> off the face of the map. Um, but so, man, that got me like that got me excited for opening weekend, dude. You're the man. I even the even the Liberty Flames angle with with Hugh Freeze there. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's so exciting, man! It is, man. My, I've just got this smile on my face now. What? Thank you, Terry Field. Thanks for serving us, man. You're welcome, man. Um, you you are absolutely welcome, and man. So, I'm, so it is Oregon versus Auburn, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'll just tell our listeners, you know this already. I just happened to coincidentally get a chance to go to Auburn's campus two days ago, and I think I'm going to adopt Auburn as like. I don't know what the right term is. More than a co-belligerent, but like 
my favorite team in the SEC West, right? Like you've got Charles Barkley. I loved him. Um, they hate Alabama just like we do. That campus was gorgeous. Uh, there's a lot of good food around there. Um, so anyway, Auburn is moving up a little bit in my heart, and I think I'm going to adopt them as my like number one SEC West team. Now, they, you know, if UT is playing them, when UT is playing them, I want us to beat them six thousand to none. Sure, but nonetheless, I, I just look at them with their their Alabama hatred and you know a, a, a legacy of players that. I really, really liked, and uh, I think I've got a, I've got a, I've got a soft spot in my heart for him, Terry Felton. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. Charles Barkley spoke um, at an event in Middle Tennessee recently, Jeff. I believe it's for like the Boys and Girls Club or something like that, one of those charities. And uh, he was doing a couple of interviews, and Barkley was actually on campus last year for the UT game, and he said to the crowd, "You know, I went to the game because I knew for sure that Auburn would win." And then, you know, was just, you know, so disappointed when they lost. And, uh, of course, had some quims about that. But, yeah, man, I've, I, and, and uh, for some of the same reasons you just said, I've I've kind of felt that way about LSU in the past, especially with Les Miles there. I just yeah. think he was, he's just a great character for college football. And, you know, during, you know, the heights of his run, they were, you know, they were able to beat Alabama some. And, um, um, and yeah, except when they would play Tennessee and this goes back to one of the most painful ball memories, you know, the 2001 SEC title game. Besides yeah, that, you know, I've, yeah. you know, I've, I've, you know, enjoyed cheer for LSU and usually cheer for whoever they're uh, playing against. So yeah, I can see that with Auburn and yeah, man, share your love for Barkley. He's, He's just great, and uh, well, yeah, man, I mean, glad you got to see the campus. I've yeah, to yeah. it's gorgeous. It's got you know, Tumors Corner is famous. It's got right behind Tumors Corner is their quad, and it's one of the prettiest quads I've ever been in on. It's just gorgeous. Now it was a beautiful day in Auburn, Alabama, and so I got the best. You know, I had some Sunday clothes on, but it was gorgeous. I was thinking too, though. It's not just Barkley. Like Bruce Pearl's still there, man, and I love Bruce Pearl. You yeah. know, even after what he did to UT this year, it's hard not to just. Love that. I think he's evolved for life in his heart anyway. Yeah. Um, if you'd asked me around the time of the Rick Barnes presser saying, you know, if UCLA had ponied up, uh, if I would swap Rick for Bruce, you know, there's a dark side of me that would have been like, yes, let's do it. Right. Um, Bo Jackson is in there, you know. Absolutely. Frank Thomas. Frank um, Thomas. I don't love Cam Newton, but like he at least left Florida, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I can uh, I can look past – some of their legitimate, you know, some of the legitimate yeah. stomps they've put on UT and say, uh, I don't have to hate you. In fact, yeah. I may I may admire you. I may I may secretly admire you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. That's so good. Stomp those ducks, man. Yeah. Auburn. Yeah. All right, dude. Um now now, the do the wheels come off the Gus bus if Oregon comes in and beats them though? Because there's a lot of people talking that um, that Gus is on the hot seat if he doesn't produce this year, and they went through some coaching changes and um, have, have readjusted some of their staff and whatnot. So here's Auburn's schedule for this year: Oregon game one, Tulane, Kent State at A and M, Mississippi State at Florida, at Arkansas, at LSU, and all of November they're at home: Ole Miss, Georgia, Samford, and Alabama. Well. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, actually, with with actually with Auburn and Oregon, I don't know the state of their rosters well enough to comment on the prospects of either team. So, what do you think there, Terry? I mean, what do you see? 
Uh, do you see them like a Spider-Man meme where they're both pointing at each other and they look identical? Or is there some distinguishing feature here that's going to it's going to swing? So so here's the deal. Like Oregon returns a guy, quite possibly um, the best quarterback west of the Mississippi in a guy named Justin Herbert. Had a great year last year. Um, we were talking Heisman stuff earlier. He's probably top five um, of early Heisman candidates. If not okay. top five, he's in the top ten. Um the the coach that's that's there was the guy Cristobal. He coached with Saban. He has had a history of coaching in the South, and um, they said that there's a the, there's a toughness they're trying to develop there as well as their you know kind of offensive mo that was there with Chip Kelly and stuff. So um, a lot of um, places are picking them to win the Pac-12. So, but what Auburn has um, for a fact is. They returned three of their four um, D linemen, including a guy named Derek Brown and a guy named Marlon Davidson, who are really top, top quality SEC defensive linemen. Can get after the quarterback, stuff the run. You know, so in those typical SEC, Pac 12, Big 12 games, man, if, if you got the line play, you're going to win, even if the other team's got the better skilled players. So Auburn returns all five of their starting offensive linemen. So you would think that Gus can work out enough kinks and maybe against the Pac-12 defense, maybe he's a little bit leaner mm-hmm. um, than, than SEC lines. Um, uh, I'm sure Jerry will have it temperature controlled there in, in his building, but let's just say the Texas heat is allowed in for a little bit. That, that has to favor uh, a team that did their training in Auburn, Alabama more than Eugene, Oregon, right? I would imagine uh, so, yeah. yeah. I'd imagine so, so. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, again, it, it certainly could be a toss up and, um, but, uh, I think, I think Gus, the Gus bus might be in some trouble because if, if they lose that game, um, A&M on the road would be hard. LSU on the road's hard. Even Florida on the road's hard and Georgia and Bama within the last two weeks of your season, man, that's rough. Um, so man, that's five losses right there. Um, and with Auburn looking at a Texas A&M and saying, oh, my goodness, there they are, and looking at a LSU, Auburn fans, they don't want to be second in their state, let alone second in the West. So if they're, yeah. if they're dropping the third, fourth, fifth, man, it could, it could get squirrely there. Mm-hmm. And, let me just, and, and just, just for conversation piece, let me throw you a name out just in case Auburn – is looking for a football coach at the end of this season, Bob Stoops. Oh gosh, no kidding. I mean, just just no just kidding. throw it out there, you know, because they're gonna Auburn because they want to do everything they can to to keep up with Bama. You know, they're gonna swing. They might may not get him, but um, wouldn't shock me to hear uh, a name like that. Um, floated around the plains if um, if indeed the season doesn't go how they hope it will. Okay. <laughs> Predictions here, man. You've already went after uh, – who did I say you went after earlier? Oh, yeah. Uh, you went after Trevor Lawrence, and now you've gone after a major college football program. You're, you're just bringing on all comers here, Terry Felton. You ain't scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that your pleasant visit to Auburn will protect me if um, any of the angry Auburn fans um, – Try to harm me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're besties now. I think they've adopted me just like I've adopted them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's let's get to maybe some of the actual pressing questions here. Um, 
I guess, as you noted, as we got ready for this episode, the Ryan Day thing in Ohio State is is a big storyline. Uh, is this going to work out? Uh, what, what's your take here, Felton? Just give us the setup and then give us your read on it. Um, so Urban Meyer leaves the cupboard full for Ryan Day. He, Ryan Day coached with Urban Meyer and has coached offense. And, um, you know, Jeff, it, I think it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to go – the way Oklahoma has gone with Bob Stoops handing the keys to Lincoln Riley and man, they just keep rolling and maybe even achieve uh, greater heights. Um, at least in the sense that Oklahoma went to the playoff, you know, these, these last two years um, with Lincoln Riley there. And, um, and if, you know, Ron day really is this offensive save that, you know, he's projected to be man, they just keep rolling. And as long as, their recruiting profile can continue to have a presence in the South. I think it's one thing Urban Meyer brought to the Ohio State. He, he recruited the South. He recruited Georgia and Florida and got those kids to go there. Um, James Franklin's done some of it as well at Penn State, getting kids from Florida and Georgia. Um, and, and those type of Southern football players make a difference. They just do. Um, it's either going to go the, the Bob Stoops and Lincoln Raleigh handoff or – it could go the Butch Davis to Larry Coker. Um, that was at the University of Miami, the Hurricanes uh, in Florida. And um, the 2001 Miami uh, or the 2000 team, I, I think literally, I think 18 of their 22 starters ended up playing like professionally. Like it was ridiculous. The talent that Butch, um, not not Jones nor Butch Reed from wrestling uh, lore, but Butch Davis put in place there. I mean, the guys, Sean Taylor's, Ed Reed's, you know, Ed Reed just went to the Hall of Fame. I mean, Clinton Portis, I mean, you know, Najee Davenport, um, just, just those teams that were so stocked with talent. Larry Coker comes in the next year. Man, they just breeze through everything until they ran to Jim Trestle in Ohio State, who beat them in the national title game with Maurice Florette. Shocked everyone. Next year, okay, we're good. We're going to keep breezing along. They are. And wouldn't you know it, the University of Tennessee Volunteers roll up into Miami and snap their 28-game home winning streak with some guy named Casey Clawson. Yeah, baby. And, and, and a, just a stout defense, played ball control, field position. They pressed the kicking game, Jeff. And mm. UT, UT won 10-6. And the wheels fell off of that Miami Hurricane dynasty that was seemingly going to last forever. Um, and it wasn't that Coker was a bad coach. It was just maybe he wasn't the right coach for continuing what had been laid there, uh, the groundwork that had been laid by Butch Davis. So I, I think uh, I really think either options on the table. It could be Oklahoma of right now. It could be Miami of the early 2000s. And then we're going, all right, who's Ohio State going to go after? What's the big name? Can they lure someone in from the pros? Can they, you know, is there a, a college coach that's really highly thought of? And um, uh, give you a name just for that, um, Matt Campbell. Um, he's the Iowa State coach. Uh, he cut his teeth, I believe, head coaching at Toledo. Maybe had another stop before that, but I'm not sure. And he's just doing great thing in Ames, Iowa, to the point where Iowa State is seen as the the next team in line behind Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 this year, and um, like legitimately preseason top 25. So. Um, he's a guy that has Midwest ties and that if one of these big 10 schools really wants to come a calling, he might be one of their first calls. Okay. Okay. So I guess then Terry, I gotta, I gotta make you give me a hard commitment here. So if somebody came in and put a gun to your head and you said, and, and told you, 
you've got to pick one side or the other. You know, these scenarios that you've laid out here, um, what's going to be, you know, what's going to, what's the first three years of Ryan Day at Ohio State going to look like? You say positive, you say negative. Lincoln Riley or the collapse of Miami? So I'm going to go, I'm going to go positive in the sense because, man, they just got too much talent. You know, that's the thing with a college program, when a coach leaves your transitions, if you leave the cupboard stocked, that next year, you're you're still going to win, what, 80%, 90% of your games probably. You're just going to out Jimmy and Joel. Um, but then it begins to be seen year two, three, and following if they can't keep up that recruiting um, level. And that's the thing. We don't know yet how Ron Day is going to recruit. Now, right now, before the season starts, all these recruiting services, they have Ohio State, I'm sure, in the top 10. And there's some quality players they're in on. But some of those players are going to stop and say, hey, you're not Urban Meyer. Show me on the field. And, you know, does Ohio State trip up somewhere this year where they shouldn't? You know, even the great Urban Meyer, they got pummeled at Purdue last year. Um, So does that happen to Ryan Day? And if if Urban Meyer gets pummeled at Purdue and then rallies and wins the rest of his games, everyone says, okay, that was a fluke. If Ryan Day gets pummeled against Purdue or somebody in the Big Ten, all of a sudden he doesn't have that Urban Meyer equity in his pocket um, to – try and bounce back. So so Ohio State schedule this year, Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, Indiana, Miami of Ohio, at Nebraska, Michigan State, at Northwestern, Wisconsin, Maryland, at Rutgers, Penn State, and at Michigan. At Michigan and at Nebraska are the only two games where, honestly, I don't think they're more than a touchdown favorite, even going into the game. So right there, 10-2, and two, Jeff, you know? Yeah. And... They could go ten and two, and we won't know any more about Ron Day than we do now. That is an excellent point, man. So, how long do you think it takes? Does it take a full three years for him to kind of turn the roster over before we get a verdict on him? You know, I think more and more within college uh, football, I think that seems to kind of be that that year three slash year four that that kind of tends to be the tipping point where you say, okay. Yeah, this is our guy, or no, it's not. Let's be honest. As as broken hearted Tennessee fans. Year three of Butch Jones, those games that he lost and the way that he lost, you know, Will Greer in Florida, losing that the way that you do, losing a game to Arkansas, losing that Oklahoma game. That Tennessee team was nine and four and should have easily been 11 and two. And it just felt like that was the year for him where it's like, oh, man, we're not going to get over the hump, are we? And then the next year between injuries and internal strife and conflict. I mean, you know, does Butch Jones even make it four years at Tennessee without Josh Dobbs and Derek Barnett? That's an interesting question to ask and conversation to have sometime. But by the end of year three going to year four, it was like, oh man, this 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 isn't going to work, is it? Yeah, I've got a buddy uh, who I think listens to the podcast. We actually just bought our tickets to the UT-BYU uh, game together, Mac Williams. And he actually can't see Josh Dobbs in a totally positive light because he thinks Josh Dobbs is the reason Butch Jones held on at UT and dug such a hole for us. So, no, I don't think I don't think Lyle hangs on if it's not for Mr. Dobbs. And, you know, I'm, I'm never going to think ill of Josh Dobbs or, or reduce his star. But, dang, I do wish there was some way where – you know, Butch could have been exposed and Josh could have had his career. I mean, really what we need to look look at, you you talked about earlier giving um, 
Jalen Hurd some kind of commentation for yeah. you know whatever UT accomplished. Uh, I do think we need to give him like a brass canary in the coal mine statue because he tried to let us know. Yeah, you know, I remember thinking that guy was just off his nut, and nope, nope, he was the sanest guy in the conversation. So yeah. Uh, let, let's do this, Terry. Let's go broad national, and then we'll come back yep. home to the to the SEC and to Sounds our beloved good. University of Tennessee. It's just go ahead and write it in Bama versus Clemson this year. I, I don't, I don't see how it's not. I mean, um, even you know, even if Clemson loses a conference game somewhere along the way, you they get a chance to write that wrong in the college football playoff. And I would just think out of sheer sheer force, sheer star power, sheer brand right now, you get put in the you get put in the, the playoff right. I mean even a even a eleven and one, twelve and one ACC champ named Clemson gets in the college football playoff, I would imagine. And they're just Dabble has stockpiled talent there. Just absolutely has. And Bama's Bama. That that whole offense is back. Um that's um it's it's frightening the skill guys that they have. And I mean, Alabama's road games at South Carolina, at A and M, which could very well be a challenge for them. But you know, if they were to lose that game, I mean, I can't see A and M running the table where Alabama couldn't work their way into the SEC title game, or even as Alabama did two years ago. Jeff, they made the football college playoff without even playing in the SEC championship game. Yeah, that's true. So. Um, so I, I don't see how we don't get another Alabama Clemson um, battle unless our favorite bowl cut friend Kirby Smart gets Georgia past that hump, um, which you know maybe, but probably not. And you just think Oklahoma's defense has too many issues. Uh, Alex Grinch can't cover them up. Can't work that like Washington State magic and force their way in. Yeah, I, I can see Oklahoma making a run just like they've done the past couple of years. But in the end, if they run into Alabama, Clemson, or Georgia, they're going to get beat up up front. You know, that, that, that's that's where the schools outside the South are different, save for probably Ohio State, um, from what I can from what I can tell, and um, that that's where that game will be decided. So, yeah. Um, it could in in that way there, and it's also the reason why in 2020, when Tennessee travels to Norman, Oklahoma, for the second game of the year, Jerry Pruitt's going to roll up in there a top 15, top 10 quality defense, and that game will be closer than the experts predict. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, narrowing it down to the SEC a little bit, you pointed off, you pointed out rather off air that uh, no head coaching changes in the SEC this past year, which is, you know, if you just asked two years ago, would that be the case or every coach is turned over? Hmm. I think you'd be hard pressed to pick between the two. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to last another year, is it? And if, uh, if you say no, yeah. who's the, who's the most likely candidate? Uh, so let, let's consider some of the movement that did happen. Alabama replaced their offensive and defensive coordinator. Auburn replaced their offensive coordinator. Georgia replaced their offensive and defensive coordinators. Kentucky replaced their defensive coordinator. Ole Miss replaced offense and defensive coordinator. Mississippi State replaced offensive coordinator. Tennessee replaced offensive and defensive coordinator. And Vanderbilt replaced their offensive coordinator. 
So, you know, when I look at that, you know, I try to ask the, the, the why, you know, what, what's going on here. Um, Bama head coaches go elsewhere, save and promote it, whatever. The same thing happened at Georgia, but obviously as Tennessee fans, we want to think anyway that we went and plucked their offensive coordinator and made them um, get a different OC. Auburn's the one, Jeff, where I'm telling you, that schedule, um, there was co- questions about the offense last year and how much was Gus not letting his coordinator coach and call plays. Um, I think Auburn could be a possibility, especially if things go south with their season. Um Ole Miss, Matt Luke, the guy that they held on to um, from the Hugh Free staff and basically said, we want you to ride this storm out with us after all the NCAA stuff. Matt Luke hired Rich Rodriguez as his offensive coordinator. And then a guy named Mike McIntyre, who was the head coach of Colorado, they, they, they won their division in the Pac-12 a few years ago. So I'm just saying a young guy who has his first major head coaching job and you've got your OC and your DC as former head coaches who won at, at high levels, man, uh, I'm certainly not saying they would do this, but man, I would think I would be looking over my shoulder some um, if I'm him. Uh, I think Derek Mason has bought enough good favor at Vanderbilt. I don't think anything happens to him unless he chooses to leave. Do you know what South Carolina's schedule looks like this year, Jeff? Man, I hope they're playing the greatest NFL teams of the last hundred years every week. I, there's few people in the SEC I despise as much as Will Muschamp. Now that James Franklin's out of the out of the picture, let, let, let me give you the South Carolina schedule. First game versus North Carolina in Charlotte. North Carolina with their new slash old head coach Mac Brown, who by the way has freaking locked North Carolina down, Dad Gummit. I need him to give up on the recruiting trail a little bit, Mac. Do it for Watson. Don't no, don't get too worried. Um, Charleston Southern, okay, n- noted. Third game of the year for South Carolina, Alabama. Then they go to Missouri, Kentucky at home, at Georgia, Florida, at Tennessee, Vanderbilt, 11-win Appalachian State, at Texas A&M, and Clemson to end the year. Jeff, there is it is not outside the realm of possibility that South Carolina could go anywhere from four and eight to one and eleven. Now, I don't think they'll go one and eleven, but man, I, they're they're not beating Alabama. They're not winning at Georgia. They're not winning at Texas A and M. They're not winning against Clemson. And those are those are stone cold locks in my mind. And I could see North Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Appalachian State all beating them. Oh, it couldn't happen to a better person. Must jump. I mean, that would be delightful. I don't think he has the emotional stability to weather that personally, let alone like the career. Yeah. You said that, you know, the cachet with the program to weather that either. And so, I mean, there, you know, if you're into schadenfreude, uh, that's, that's a tantalizing offering. Yes. So, so if I'm looking from just the outside and I'm saying, SEC coaching changes that would be based on um, the program making a move, not a coach making a move. Um, Auburn, Ole Miss, South Carolina. Those are the three this season that that if the season went bad enough. Now, I I have no idea. I think Gus uh, Malzahn's buyout is something astronomical. Muschamp's probably is as well. Um, You know, um, 
I think someone like Matt Luke could kind of be like, okay, we've gotten kind of done with the NCAA infraction stuff, and now we're going to go, you know, find our next Q Freeze type guy um, to bring in. And he was kind of the the the, the steadying force um, there for a while. But um, I, I just I think the the demand of the SEC is so so high that I don't see us going to another off season where there's no co- coaching changes. All right. Well, let's let's go over to Knoxville. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, Terry. I have been living the battered ball, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the full spectrum. So, like, spent the whole off season just not letting myself believe, have any hope, just trying to tamp expectations down. Less than eight wins, you know. Cheney's running around. Start believing a little bit there. Looks like Garantano and Pruitt have mind melded. Get a little bit more excited. You know, knock on wood, the lineman who shall not be named looks like he might be playing. Hopes start coming up, and then we freaking lose maybe our best defensive lineman this year, and all of a sudden I'm back to uh, just being totally crushed and, you know, believing that we won't win a game next year. So <laughs> tell me tell me what's going to happen down by the river, buddy. Uh, man, I'm, I'm hoping for the seven, you know, seven win, you know, minimum type season to, you know, nine win max. Um, uh, the, looking at their schedule, Georgia and Alabama, to me, are the two where I say, I just don't think they have the the, the overall talent on the roster yet to beat them. Sure. Now, sure. now, there was a Tennessee team that did not match up with Georgia about five years ago, and they rolled into Knoxville. And Tennessee played off their feet that game. And were it not for a pig Howard fumble in the end zone, Tennessee maybe upsets a top 10 Georgia team that that game. I'm not predicting that the same thing happens, but we all know that that there's there's a game every season that every team has where they either play so off their feet or the other team does that that it's just something something magical in the air that day. So um so I think I, I take Bama and, and Georgia, unfortunately, off um, immediately. Then I look at the obvious wins, Georgia State, Chattanooga, UAB, obvious wins. Then I think my fairly confident wins, BYU, um, Vanderbilt, and my goodness, if Tennessee could beat Kentucky last year when Kentucky's having this historic run, then I don't see how Kentucky losing a ton of NFL talent that, that Tennessee trips up over them. So then I add Kentucky to that list. And then I'm left with South Carolina, Missouri, Mississippi State, and Florida. And I find myself saying, can Tennessee go two and two in those games? And I firmly believe they can. Even with Emmett Gooden going down and no yeah. no, no indication that Audrey Solomon's going to play? Yeah. Um, so getting Solomon available is huge. But, but here's what I think on the D-line. I think what UT has on the D-line is burgeoning talent that's just inexperienced. And by the time you get to South Carolina, Missouri, a couple of the games in my mind that are swing games, those guys are going to they're going to have experience. They will have lived through Alabama and Georgia and Florida. You know, they're not freshmen who don't know what they're doing anymore at that point if they're freshmen or even if they're junior college transfers. So, um I think I don't know if Emmett Gooden is the difference between seven and eight wins. Um, 
if, if there were some other players on the team, I might think that. I think he's a big loss. But, you know, Emmett Gooden is the guy that a lot of these players, he's the guy last year a lot of these players are right now. We didn't know what they would offer, and then they end up being the third or fourth best lineman um, once they got the chance to. Matthew Butler, John Mincy, those guys, they're raving about them in camp. A couple of the Juco guys, can they give you Emmett Good production? Can a true freshman like Elijah Simmons, who they are raving about, um, can, can he play a little bit above his head? Uh, I think Pruitt's going to, by not having just the three seniors, like he did last year with Kyle Phillips, Shaw Tuttle, and Alexis Johnson. I think, honestly, they leaned on those guys too much, hindsight, and they didn't play enough of the other guys as much as they could or should. And so that's why they don't have experience. I think they're talented. I think redshirt freshman Greg Emerson is really turning heads, and I think there's a lot of positive stuff there. The guys just need a chance, and hopefully Georgia State, BYU, Chattanooga give them enough of that in-game experience that then when they – go play Florida or when they encounter South Carolina late in the year, that can make the difference. Oh my word, man. It's just, it's too hard to believe Terry. But I mean, you think, so you think Cheney Ainsley, some, some upgrades and just the beef on the roster, those are enough to kind of push us. Cause I think probably both of us, there's a lot of UT fans talking about the second year leap and how that's how, you know, mm-hmm. when a coach has it or not, I think yep. you and I both would say, Pruitt started from too far behind to have to be expected to make a second year leap. Right. Probably looking at, you know, you'll know him by his third year. Yeah. So that leaves us in this weird meeting position. You think the coaching upgrades and the and just the overall weight gains on the roster are enough to push us up around an eight win? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that I think that's real possibility. I mean, you know, we just talked about, you know, the 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 gauntlet that South Carolina has to play even before they get to Tennessee. Who's to say they're not two and five, one and six, or even three and four, but just beat up and a physical Tennessee team goes in there and hits them in the mouth and they they say we're done. You know, who's to say that a Missouri team that as of right now cannot have a bowl game, cannot go to a bowl game, regardless, says, you know what? You know, by the next to last game of the year for them or so, they're not caring anymore. I just think there's some things that line up with Tennessee's schedule this year that, barring other significant injuries, and good is a significant one because he is the most experienced one on that D-line, that, that Tennessee can make some hay. But let me also throw this this out to you, Jeff, and, and just, you know, while we're, while we're dreaming, right? So Emmett Gooden, uh, Pruitt said that he'll be able to come back and play next year. Okay, so on their two deep, what if I told you on their defense that going into 2020, Pruitt's third year, he's rebuilt the roster and his defense is only going to lose Daryl Taylor and Daniel Batuli and Nigel Warrior. That's what the defense is going to look like going into next season. That's going to be a stout defense that I think hearing early reports about Henry Toa Toa, Hearing some reports about some of these freshman secondary guys, looking at the type of guys they are trying to recruit. Defense is Pruitt's thing, man. And I think that that defense is going to be up to snuff by next year, if not even mid-season of this year. Offense, you're replacing your receivers, save Josh Palmer, who they said may be the best receiver right now in camp on the roster. You're replacing him, Dominique Wood-Anderson at tight end. 
And that's all for sure via graduation. Now, are there guys who have a great year and get to go pro early? Man, that bodes well for Tennessee because they haven't had guys drafted. Um, And that's what high school prospects look at. I think Tennessee is swimming in some deep recruiting waters right now because of Pruitt and the program, but they're waiting to see if they do take a, a jump the second year. Do the promises begin to be realized that, yeah, this is the guy? And I think this season, there's a lot that lines up for, for them to make a surge. And um, I, I don't think they're going to win the East this year. But, man, to to be competitive in most games, you know, to win some of those swing games, um, boy, UT was a couple busted coverages away from beating South Carolina last year. Um, and do, do we think differently about Pruitt, Jeff, if they win that game and they end up going to a bowl last year? Do, do we feel differently if that one game swings? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I guess so, just because that would be so unexpected, right? But, I mean, there were a lot of problems last year, man. I mean, the the Florida game in particular just looked like a, a team that wasn't just outclassed. It was deeply outcoached. You know, sloppy, stupid penalties, hurting yourself. So, I mean, I guess you do, man. But I don't know even if that would be enough for me to come away not feeling like Oh my gosh, we got some real issues here. But then, what what did you think about the Auburn game, though? Like, you know, you were you were at the Florida game, right? Oh yeah, I had to watch yeah. that mess so, in person. So, 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 but then, then the floor, then the Auburn game, where they go and put, put a full game together. What about the beating they put on Kentucky? And, and again, yeah, I know it's Kentucky, but Kentucky they beat Florida at Florida. You know, yeah, like, I mean, Kentucky's Kentucky. a better program than UT right now. Yeah. They're in a better spot, so I, you know. I get what you're saying, dude, but there's also Vandy. I mean, there's just – I yeah. don't know, man. It, yeah. I guess I'm probably a cup half empty. Now, here's the thing. I want to believe in Jeremy Pruitt. I love him. I love Chaney. I'm fired up for that. I'm not a guy who, like, takes some sadistic pleasure in rooting against the balls. Right. There was just – it kills me when teams commit penalties. Uh, that, that's, that was the first, like – sign for me that Derek Dooley wasn't going to make it because his teams just committed these stupid penalties. It seems like a well-drilled team. You know, you can't control talent disparity. You can't control, you know, uh, even what your staff necessarily the first year looks like in, in terms of like having whoever you would most want to have. But you can control discipline, and mm-hmm. that that's the big flag for me that still leaves me going like, I want to believe Jeremy. I think there's signs there, but I can't ignore this other stuff too. I don't know which one's weightier. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's totally fair. That, to that, to that's your totally point, fair. though, they recruit like madmen. If they get a modicum of success, they are going to be absolute terrors as recruiters as long as they can hold it together. Yeah, um, because recruiting with this kind of pitiful record is is really staggering, all things considered. You know, landing – you tell me if I'm mispronouncing this, but yeah. but the way they landed Tuotuo, mm-hmm. just continuing to chop away, get that kid on campus, just stay in the conversation and land him, it's incredible. Um, that one assistant who works with Niedermeyer. Niedermeyer, Niedermeyer, yeah. I really think I would pay him um, like Jim Chaney money to keep him around, dude. That guy is a house on fire when it comes to recruiting. Yeah. And he seems like he can coach a little too. Yeah. Um, I, I Everything you're saying about like if they win a few games, the floodgates might break, I totally believe that. Yeah. I just think I'm going to listen with you 
to this audio we just recorded about the best case scenario for UT. And we're either going to be drunk in the spirit and just delighted that it all came <laughs> to pass, or we're going to be saying, you sweet, sweet, naive fools. Yeah. You know, yeah. look how dumb we were. Look how they did it to you again, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and again, battered vol syndrome just leaves me yeah. going. I, I, it hurts too much to love again, Terry. Uh, well, hey, hey, I, I would totally right there with you. So Tuesday night of this week, Keon Johnson, a top 30 basketball talent, commits to Tennessee. That, that, Hashtag that gives, basketball school. That, that gives the 2020 UT recruiting class a top five recruiting class right now. They got two of the top 30 or 35 players in the country and, and maybe going for more. And so it was like, wow. And then later that night, the news starts to leak out about Gooden's injury. And I fully expected to hear that Gooden tore his ACL, that Aubrey Solomon's request for transfer was denied, and that Jerry Garantano's arm fell off. Like, I totally expected that to be what happened the next day. Well, Dang it. Don't you speak that into existence. Don't you speak well, that evil over me, Ricky Bobby. Well, Gooden, Gooden's ACL tear was legit, yeah. so... Yeah, I'm just waiting for there too because I'm with you, man. You know, and then you'll be hard pressed to find some of the unbelievable occurrences and injuries um, in the last 30 years for uh, a major college football program like Tennessee. Was just reminiscing today, Chuck Webb, yeah. who um, may have been Tennessee's first Heisman winner, tears his leg, his knee up against Pacific. I don't think they even have a football program anymore. Mm. And, you know, and, and ACL repair was not what it was then. And, you know, he was done. I mean, he, he literally had legit, amazing NFL like talent written all over him. And, you know, and just from there, different things. So, yeah, I, I hear you, man. I feel you. I mean, we're the, we're the program that, dealt with Derek Dooley losing two games his first season after triple zeros hit the clock and Tennessee was ahead. So it's hard. It's hard. But it's hard. We, you said it. I want to, I want to love again. I'm ready to be hurt again. (laughs) That's UT football. Yeah, man, it is. And I, I guess that's just it. You just walk in the room and see if you get hit, you know, uh, but like I said, I bought I bought tickets to watch them play BYU, and you put a gun to my head right now, Terry. Us coming out of there with a solid BYU over, you know, win over BYU. Sure, I could see that. But I'm like sixty forty that BYU boat races us, and I come out holding my head in my hands, unable to drive home that night. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, they actually put Jim McMahon out there at quarterback, and he decimates Tennessee <laughs> for seven touchdowns. Right. Well, I mean BYU. I've read a couple people talk about it as like a dark horse favorite for the play. Offs. And I'm like, of course, oh. of course, the year we play the Storm and Mormons, uh, we're, we're, we're getting them at like their best since, uh, oh, what was that Heisman candidate they had? Todd Detmer. Yeah, since Todd well, Detmer. He won. he won the Heisman, my friend. Yeah. BYU yeah. has more Heisman winners than the University of Tennessee does. Huh. Huh. Yeah, d- d- don't don't buy the don't buy the BYU stuff. As an independent, they have to play that crazy hard schedule. Yeah, don't don't worry about that, Jeff. You're you're going to walk out of Nathan Stadium. UT will be two and zero, and it'll be okay. Well, I'll still be terrified. I'll be terrified that the house of cards <laughs> is going to collapse. Yeah. 
I guess that's the best note I could put on the end on this uh, episode with for a UT fan. Terry, anything we didn't shake out of the bag today? No, I I think we're good for a college football preview. All right, I'm going to give you two quick hitters. All right. Okay. Uh, One is college football related. Are you going to buy Madden 2020 to play the small-scale NCAA football game? Uh, No, I I would rather keep my old PS3 and NCAA 2012 um, just rolling what I got because early things I've heard on it, not that great. So um, why would I ruin um, the Jeremy Pruitt-led Tennessee Vols program that's 238-4 and while him is coach and has won uh, 19 national titles? Um, (laughs) Why would I – why would I adjust that at all, Jeff? <laughs> Is the new statue outside of Neyland, uh, General Neyland, bowing at his feet? <laughs> They're going to build another one on the opposite entrance of Neyland. Um, <laughs> there on Pruitt Boulevard. And it's going to be like that, you know, that, that ancient wonder of the world, the Colossus of Rhodes that apparently stood <laughs> over the harbor. It's just going to stand over the Tennessee River. There you go. That's wonderful. Welcome the boats in, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, last one. Are you? Do you care at all about this year's SummerSlam card? You want me to run down uh, the matchups for you? Uh, uh, Goldberg's wrestling, right? Yeah, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. At this okay. point, we're not entirely sure this isn't a weekend at Bernie's situation where Goldberg's <laughs> just being kept alive in appearance only. <laughs> I did, did see. No, oh, go ahead. Uh, so I did see the. Um, a promo they're doing with Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton, right? Yeah. And they, they get a kind of a callback to when they had a real hot rivalry about what a decade ago. Yeah. And and then apparently and, Randy killed Kofi's push. Right. Buried him. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember watching a scene where Kofi poured paint on a NASCAR that had like a Randy Orton like image on it. I, I remember like watching that and being like, man, this is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, I guess somewhat intriguing. Um, so, dude, let me just run this. It'll be real yeah. quick. Yeah, Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler. Which did you see anything from the Goldberg Undertaker match? I read it was horrible. It was horrible, and Goldberg straight up collapsed outside the ring at, after it was over. Wow, uh, they they just need to get these guys out. But in that same theme, Trish Stratus versus Charlotte Flair. Okay. Uh, AJ Styles versus Ricochet, which should be fun. That's for the United States Championship. But haven't they fought a bunch already? Well, in that same vein, Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt. Can we just separate those two? Is this the 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 different Finn Balor or, or excuse me Bray Wyatt character? Yes, and, and Bray is incredible off like as a creative person, but his booking's got to change. He's got to start stacking wins, or nobody sees him as credible, no matter what he comes up with. Is there but, any chance that he doesn't win against Balor, uh, dude? WWE quote unquote creative, I wouldn't put anything past them. But to the same point, you know, AJ Styles versus Ricochet, Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt, Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. Like I this was two years ago. You, you know yeah. what I mean? On SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, some people are saying Roman Reigns may get switched out for Shane. Uh, excuse me, against Shane. Uh, but he may end up wrestling uh Would he um, be would he be a villain in that scenario? I think what's the, Drew McIntyre is the foil that he'll play off. Yeah. Oh, uh, and who knows who takes the baby face and heel booking anymore, man? I mean, wh- who even knows what those mean right now? Particularly when it right. comes to Roman uh, Bailey versus Ember Moon. That's cool. SmackDown Women's Championship. 
Kofi versus Randy Orton, which, by the way, Randy Orton is the thing in professional wrestling I'm the most tired of. Yeah. Uh, he mails in what he does, dude. He just mails it in, and it's not worth watching. Uh, now, Becky Lynch versus Natalia. It's a submission match for the Raw Women's Championship. Is that mm-hmm. not your fire? It really feels like the whole Becky Lynch thing's really lost some luster, doesn't it? I mean, they from like where she was. Yeah, they, yeah. It feels like they had the next Stone Cold on their hands and just let it go. Um, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship. I mean. Okay, so, so Rollins beat Lesnar. At WrestleMania, right? I think that's right. Okay, and but they brought Lesnar back, and he's the champion again. Yes, was, for reasons. Oh. I, it really seems to be that they think Brock Lesnar is, a, is still a marquee attraction. Maybe he is for a lot of people, man. But in the age of AEW, people aren't looking to to show up to watch Brock Lesnar rinse and repeat. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, this whole card to me really looks like you could just call it retread. Uh, city because it's just stuff we've all seen before. We've seen too much, and they're trying to milk the nostalgia for what mm-hmm. we haven't seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. But dude, who's dying for a Goldberg Dolph Ziggler match? Who's dying to see Trish Stratus match up with Charlotte Flair? Like, come on. Uh, especially when they're presumably just one offs, right? Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, you remember, um, you know, because we we watched, you know, in the late nineties and stuff, almost religiously. You know, I mean, I remember going to your house on Monday nights. Um, you remember how the end of WCW got where it was just this constant? I mean, they they would put their matches on Nitro. And then you would basically get the same match on the pay-per-view. Yeah. And it got to a point where it's like, what's the point of even tuning in? Yeah, nothing if, special about that. Yeah. Um, and I know for a long time you've said about Raw's runtime that three hours is just too long yep. if you're going with just a normal. Because then there's nothing spectacular about either going to a live event or a pay-per-view. If it's the same amount of time and the same amount of content and um, with these other wrestling promotions, you know, um, whether it's AEW getting started or even the the stuff in Japan, I mean that talent's going to find other avenues to go if it's not maximized. So, um, well, yeah, that, to your to your point about the three hour RAW, I, I do think they should go back to it. They should cut it at least an hour, so it should be <laughs> two hours at most. The other thing, though, is. Back when they were at their best, and this is the Russo era, which you and I, for moral reasons, we weren't super plugged into, right? Mm-hmm. That Everybody sees yeah. that as like the second golden age of the WWE. But because it got so vulgar, we were watching WCW, you know, just for yeah. conscience sake. Yeah. But nonetheless, the thing Russo did is every match had an angle. Every match had some reason for existing. It may not be the high-profile storyline, but it was a storyline, and it was building on something. And what I don't understand about WWE creative, particularly with all their new Fox money, is how they don't have a writing staff that's capable of giving us a reason for every match. Mm-hmm. Um, why do we have to have rush booking? Why do we have to have stuff just thrown together? You have the resources to to put together a writer's room like has never been seen in professional wrestling. Uh, but we get Trish Stratus trotted back out. 
And um, Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt for the umpteenth time. Isn't SummerSlam generally seen as kind of their SummerSlam or Royal Rumble? Is always kind of struck me as kind of your number two pay per view or your your, your 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 number two or three major event after WrestleMania, right? Yeah, they've always said that SummerSlam is like one A. Really, if okay. you hear their people talk about it, it's you know WrestleMania is still the golden calf, but this is the thing that's like across the calendar. Yeah, that so to you your point, to your point. Why in the world are you just confirming a Goldberg Dolph Ziggler match the Monday night six days before the event? Yeah. You know, like to your point, like if you're going to do that, where's the forethought and where are the seats? Um, it can be argued that the greatest prolonged build to a rivalry was Randy Macho Man Savage and Hulk Hogan yeah. from WrestleMania four to five. Sure. That took an e- a year. You know, like they sowed the seeds for that for a year. And and it was probably about seven, eight, nine, ten months in when Savage finally made the heel turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that thing was white hot. And I just uh, to, to your point, I don't see why you can't take a take a young talent like a ricochet and say, look, here's where you are this SummerSlam. Here's where we want you to be next SummerSlam and begin to put that together. And and like you said, have have when a when, when he wins a match, when he loses a match, there be something that it feeds into, either for him or for his opponent, um, and and move forward there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It just seems like there's there's a lot of disconnecting pieces to that, and you know maybe that's Vince with other ventures, maybe that's him holding on, you know, all types of things. But yeah, no, there's nothing really about the SummerSlam thing that that excites me. So. Um, yeah, and like you said, so much of it has been rinse and repeat from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. or yep. already seen on Raw months ago. Yep, and it's just a shame, man. They they've got a lot of cool stuff going on with the network with this new Fox deal, and it, it you know they made some noise that they're you know giving Paul Heyman the book uh, for Raw, and they're giving uh, Eric Bischoff the book for SmackDown, and people thought, hey, man, here finally maybe Vince is letting some new blood. Make decisions and no, no, I'm sorry. So it's a shame. I think they will eventually wake up to the threat AEW represents, but it ain't right now. But I also won't be watching it. Yeah. Well, man, uh, let's get out of here. Where can our listeners find you outside the world of the podcast? You can find me on Twitter at Terry F. And you should. Uh, the podcast is at PC CD Pod on most platforms. We're on. Facebook, Twitter, we've got a Facebook group, Pop Culture Quorum Dale, Perpetual After Party. Love to talk to you about this episode or anything else you want to chat up in there. I'm at Right Jeff. Again, most social media platforms would love to connect with you. Uh, Terry, I'm thinking we're getting back together pretty soon to talk about the uh, the NBA is it's finally apparently stabilized. Yeah, wrap up the, the NBA season, look to the next one. We, we probably need to talk some NFL at some point, don't we? Yeah, I suppose so, my friend. I suppose so. <laughs> The Titans are on the rise. Don't quote me on that. No, I won't. Um, Okay. Well, friends, listeners, thanks for tuning in. You got an idea of some of the stuff that's coming down the pike for you. Uh, Until then, this is Jeff Wright for Terry Felton, reminding you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God, because you are. Talk to you next time.